Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. We're about to jump into a passage from the Old Testament book of Numbers. Eric is walking us through the common method today. But guys, before we get started, uh, this episode is going to be released on June 21st, 2021. So it's the longest day of the year. Hey, very good, Eric. (laughs) And I I just wanted to know, so how have you guys been spending your your summer days and and nights so far? Um, So I... uh... You know, oftentimes I'm spending time with my family um, or with friends. We discovered over the last summer in COVID how awesome it is to eat with people outside. Um, And so we've got a patio behind our house. And so even now that we can eat inside with people, um, we we have people over and we eat out on the back and grill and uh, make kebabs. And uh, it's it's a lot of fun. You make some pretty good kebabs. What goes on a Clayton kebab? Uh, we have chicken, uh, kielbasa, mm. uh, peppers, mushrooms, and potatoes are the, the standard fare. That's very, is that German? Uh, the I mean, kielbasa is Polish. Is Polish. Right? Yeah. My, my wife's family is Polish. But potatoes? Well, we're Irish, but I, it's just, who doesn't like potatoes? Oh, you're you know? Irish. You're Irish. <laughs> that's an interesting. Co- I've never heard anyone we, put we've that done, combination of things. On we've a, done shrimp on a as well, but that's get that gets expensive on a regular basis. I've never had a potato on a kebab before, but it was very good. All right. Uh, what do we do during the summer, man? Uh, so, I piddle in my yard for hours. My it drives my wife crazy. Definition of piddle. <laughs> yep. Pid- piddle is you. Piddle walk- sounds like something so, my five year old does in the yard. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! No, not that kind of piddling. Although I don't think that is the actual definition of the word piddle. So. <laughs> piddling in the yard for pe- people that piddle in their yard. <laughs> I'm just gonna keep saying. Just say, how many times can we say piddle in one sentence? This is the uh, Mrs. Producer. We need to make sure that the word piddle is in the episode description <laughs> for this podcast. You walk around your yard and, you know, you kind of deadhead some of your flowers and then you kind of look around. You go, oh, that plant should be watered. And then you go, oh, maybe I'll maybe I'll clean off the patio. And so you just kind of do random tasks and walk around your yard. And so my what I'm getting shown the definition of piddle. I can't read it from here. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> oh. No, it is, is what my five-year-old really, does. Is that really? It's true. It says the, to urinate. The definition of the word piddle is to urinate? Yep. That is not Eric Paris's <laughs> definition of piddle, okay. audience, just we're not, so you know. We're not going to edit this out, but I just want to say out loud now, for everybody that listens to this podcast, I do not spend my entire summer <laughs> walking around urinating in my yard. <laughs> oh my gosh. I have been saying that my whole life. And have you ever heard someone say I was just piddling in the yard? Like I hear puttering. Puttering. It's like what, what old guys do around their yard. They kind of walk around and I that's not an insult to your age. Oh, that is hysterical. <laughs> that's that's like when you when you find out you've been singing the wrong lyrics to a song your whole life. <laughs> I just realized at age 47 that for decades I've been telling people that I urinate outside in my yard. Very confidently. And I do it for too. fun and I find it very relaxing and rewarding. <laughs> 
<laughs> we better we better jump into the text because uh, this has gone. Let's gone, let's gone do it. So Eric, tell us tell us what we're looking at today. All right, we're looking at Numbers thirty one, uh, and this is a this is a tough one. So one of the things we try to do uh, in the podcast is we look out on this week's of reading in the Bible savvy reading schedule, and we try to pick texts that we think might be particularly difficult uh, for folks that are that are reading. So. Um, this is this is a tough one, uh, not to understand the content of uh, Numbers 31, uh, but you you bump into some really difficult things to deal with in your own heart and mind. So Numbers 31, I'm just going to go ahead and uh, let Clayton read. We're going to read the first 24 verses and then have a conversation. The Lord said to Moses, Take vengeance on the Midianites for the Israelites. After that, you will be gathered to your people. So Moses said to the people, Arm some of your men to go to war against the Midianites so that they may carry out the Lord's vengeance on them. Send into battle a thousand men from each of the tribes of Israel. So twelve thousand men armed for battle, a thousand from each tribe, were supplied from the clans of Israel. Moses sent them into battle, a thousand from each tribe, along with Phinehas the son of Eleazar the priest, who took with him articles from the sanctuary and the trumpets for signaling. They fought against Midian, as the Lord commanded Moses, and killed every man. Among their victims were Evi, Rechem, Zur, Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian. They also killed Balaam, son of Beor, with the sword. The Israelites captured the Midianite women and children and took all the Midianite herds, flocks, and goods as plunder. They burned all the towns where the Midianites had settled as well as all their camps. They took all the plunder and spoils, including the people and animals, and brought the captive spoils and plunder to Moses and Eleazar the priest and the Israelite assembly at the camp on the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. Moses, Eleazar the priest, and all the leaders of the community went to meet them outside the camp. Moses was angry with the officers of the army, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, who returned from the battle. Have you allowed all the women to live? he asked them. They were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and enticed the Israelites to be unfaithful to the Lord in the Peor incident, so that a plague struck the Lord's people. Now kill all the boys, and kill every woman who has slept with a man, but save for yourselves every girl who has never slept with a man. Anyone who has killed someone or touched someone who was killed must stay outside the camp for seven days. On the third and seventh days, you must purify yourselves and your captives. Purify every garment as well as everything made of leather, goat hair, and wood. Then Eleazar the priest said to the soldiers who had gone into the battle, This is what is required by the law that the Lord gave Moses. Gold, silver, bronze, iron, tin, lead, and anything else that can withstand fire must be put through the fire. Then it will be clean, but it must also be purified with water of cleansing. And whatever cannot withstand the fire must be put through that water. On the seventh day, wash your clothes and you will be clean. Then you may come into the camp. So the C in the comma method is context, and I just want to read the first verse of this uh, chapter again uh, to provide some context. The Lord said to Moses, take vengeance on the Midianites for the Israelites. Uh, So context here, and all of our context is going to come from having read Numbers up to this point. Uh, If you've been reading along in Numbers, you have read about the Midianites, and you have the backstory to, to what's going on here. So uh, Midian uh, joined forces with Moab, and they tried to defeat the people of God. That didn't work. Uh, then they hired Balaam to curse the people of God. Um, that didn't go so well. We've already talked about that. 
Um, and so there was in Numbers chapter 25, if you want to, if anybody that's listening to this podcast wanted to go back and read that again, uh, you get the account of them essentially saying, all right, well, here's going to be the tactic. We're going to seduce the people of God uh, to worship our pagan gods um, and try to get them to essentially separate from the God that's leading them. And so the the Midianites have set themselves very intentionally against God, the one true God, and the people of God. So that is that is the context of, of what is going on. And so then we move to observations. So we will, uh, let's jump right in with observations. I, I think we made a pretty sobering sentence right at the top. Um, in, the, in the first sentence, we read that God tells Moses to go to war. But in the second sentence... Uh, we read that God tells Moses that after that, in other words, after the war is over, um, he's going to be gathered to his people. And I think in the Bible that usually means that God's telling Moses he's about to die shortly after the war. Yeah. And, um, you know, his time, his mission has 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 been completed. And I, I wonder what that was like for Moses hearing that. Like, oh, gosh, after I do this thing, then that's it for me. Yeah. It's it's a rough it's a rough final assignment, you know what I mean? It's it's kind of brutal. Um I I look here and I see a lot of um sort of kill everybody kind of language, you know? There's they they killed every man that they they fought, they burned the towns. Um and then later even when they've kind of taken some captives, Moses said you've got to kill the women um and kill the boys too. And so um you know, I I I can accept, you know, in battles, you know, soldiers die. But when it comes across as, well, we're also going to capture civilians or, you know, other people who are around, and they're also going to die, not as mere collateral damage, but as kind of part of the, the campaign. That That's uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Um, like in, in, in modern warfare, we, we criticize um, situations where people have put civilians in danger and especially if they do it intentionally you know what i mean if they, that's that's cruel it's a you know we've got laws against that yeah one of my observations is right there in verse 2 take vengeance on the midianites this is not some random uh sporadic uh nonsensical thing that's going on take vengeance on the midianites uh because there's something that the midianites did that the lord wanted to judge. Uh, and then closely connected to that is we, we often say on the podcast, sometimes good observations are good questions. And when you're reading the Bible, right, and the Bible in a lot of ways is God's revelation of himself to us. And so you're always asking the question, so what does this tell me about God and what God is like? And if you just read Numbers 31, you say, what, what kind of God is this? Ooh, Right, you'd say, "Well, this is a God that takes vengeance. This is a God that will just kill men and women and children. Like, is is this what we're learning about about God?" And so, this is where it gets it can get really confusing in your head. Yeah, this is this is one of those passages that um, these these kinds of passages because there's 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 this isn't the only one in the Old Testament here um, that people hold up and they say, it, like I've heard people say, you know, if you want to uh, disprove. Uh, the God of the Bible, just read the Bible, you know, like re- read and see what he does. You know, you know, is that really the God you want to worship? And, and so there's a, there, it, it, it carries a sting uh, with people, uh, people who are 
uh, not Christians use it as a way of saying, that, how can you really believe this stuff? And people who are committed Christ followers, people who want to believe what the Bible says, it, it can rattle people to say, hang on a second, this doesn't feel consistent with what I th- think I know about God from other places. Yeah, I think that's, that is interesting. If you read this passage out of context of the rest of the Bible, um, we get a pretty ugly picture of, of who God is. But I think the, uh, the very beautiful part about this story, and it's very odd for me to say that, but it's this fact that even in this passage, you see God's faithfulness towards his people come through, um, which is a beautiful thing throughout the course of the Bible, because the whole point of this war and, and, them, and God taking vengeance against the Midianites is the fact that he promised Abraham that, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you, I'm going to give you a people, and I'm going to give you this prosperous land. And anybody that comes against you that tries to take that away or tries to get in between the two of us, our relationship with each other, uh, I, I'm going to curse them. I'm gonna, they're they're going to have a hard time with me. And in this case, this is that picture. The Midianites have come against God's people and have tried to lead them astray, lead them astray. And God dealt with the Israelites for their sin in this matter. And now he's dealing with the people that came up against Israel. And um, it's not Israel's war. Israel's not going against war like on their own, saying, oh, we're going to go and we're going to fight these people. But God's saying, this is, this is my war. I'm going and I'm taking vengeance on them because of what they did to my people. Re- really like how you said, the if someone comes between you and me, that, that, that sparked something. I'm thinking... Perfect metaphor, like, and it's the metaphor the Bible uses at times. If if someone tries to hit on my wife, like my right response is, how dare you try to come between me and my wife? You know what I mean? Like, hopefully, I don't murder the guy, but like, like, there's a sense of righteous jealousy to say if you because because you you go back and you read that Numbers twenty five passage, it's it's. Uh, the, the both metaphors are there. There's sexual seduction. So the women of Midian are going to the Israelites to kind of lure them into kind of this these sexual practices they had in worship. And there's idolatry. They're trying to say, come and worship our gods. And it's and in God's mind, those those go together because it's you promised to be faithful to me. You made a commitment, a covenant. We got we got married. And now you're you're flirting with this guy. You're you're you know, <laughs> the, and, and in fact they didn't just flirt. They they slept with him. You know what I mean? Some of the Israelites went and did this. So for God to say, I take that really seriously. The person who would get between me and my bride, uh, that that's that's fighting words, you know? What else do you guys see in chapter 31? I think it's interesting that uh, there's a mention of uh, Eleazar the priest and all these articles from God's sanctuary are, 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 is a part of this, part of this war, part of this battle. Um, I wonder what that looked like. Like, what what kind of articles were there? You know, it was an interesting picture. Yeah. Well, there there was there's a you said the word before holy war. Yeah. There's a there's a since the priests are kind of leading some of this because this is an assignment from it's God. From there's God, something right. there's something religious spiritual, you know, about their it's about worship. It's not just about you know a, a military enemy. Yeah, God seems to send his people into battle in really odd ways, right? Like if, if you were just planning a battle and saying, I have a strategy to win this battle or win this war, you normally wouldn't do stuff that God does. Like there's trumpets involved and priests (laughs) and like, 
weird things that, and, and it just, it just reminds me when I read that kind of stuff, I don't even know how it happens in my head, but as I'm reading this, it's always reminding me that it's the Lord's battle and the people are the instrument by which he's going to win the battle. Um, but it's always so weird. And when you, when you look at it and you say, that is not how people would have done it if people were left to themselves. I think that's probably how my brain gets there. Yeah. And say this, this is the Lord saying, this is my battle and I'm going to tell you how to win the battle and I'm going to win the battle, but you just need to walk it out and, and do what I'm asking you to do. Yeah, and even, even some of that takes it out of your hands too. You know, like when, uh, when you know, Caesar or Nebuchadnezzar or some conqueror comes, comes along and does things, they've got their strategy and how they're going to win. And instead, this is, this is God saying, no, I'm in charge of this, and I'm doing things that remind you that I'm in charge of this, not you. You don't just get to fight whoever you want to fight. I will, I will fight the enemies that I know are your enemies, you know? There's, God's, God's leading this one. Yeah, so like when they, when they go into the promised land, right, and it's the, what, all, you know, kids growing up in church learn about the Battle of Jericho. It's just so... <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's absurd, right? Walk around, make music. It just it doesn't make any sense from a military standpoint. Anything else in terms of observations before we move on? Well, I'll take that silence as a resounding no. So moving on, let's do. Uh, let's just try to go right to message oh, man. On, on this one. Um, now, I, I would say that sometimes when you are reading a, a difficult text like this, that as we talk about message and meditation can be interchangeable in the, in the comma method in terms of which one you do first or second, Sometimes when you're reading a, a confusing text and you're you're thinking, I I really like Lord, I'm I'm doing I'm reading I'm doing my daily Bible reading because I want to get to know you better, but I honestly don't know what to do with this. Um, you could go right to meditation and just confess that to the Lord. Say, Lord, mm-hmm. my I have a limited mind. I don't always understand everything I'm reading in the Bible. I trust that your Holy Spirit is my helper, is my teacher. And so I'm just going to spend a few minutes here praying and thinking, would you speak to me? Would you help me? Would you illuminate what I'm reading to my mind and to my heart? And sometimes what will happen is the Spirit of God will help you land on something. Uh, in this case, we're going to do message first, um, just as an, as an exercise in making life difficult for Nikki and Clayton right now. So <laughs> as you read a, as you read a text, well, let, me, let me ask this question as we try to pull a message out of this text. How is this? not just an unjust holy war. Um well, it's that's a that's a difficult question to answer. So that the there is a, I want to give people permission. The the reason I'm kind of hemming and hawing here is is I want to give people permission to be troubled by some of these things. I know it's in the Bible and it's supposed to say, "Okay, well, if I believe the Bible, I should be okay with this." And it's okay for things to trouble you about what you read there. And and it's sometimes when we talk about uh, good questions make good observations. Like good problems, good being troubled sometimes make good good observations. And it's and sometimes it slows you down to say, do I really understand what I think I understand? And so I think I think that's a good thing. One one thing I'd say is this: recognize that the tension you feel, and and all of us feel it when we read these, is between like what we said before: what you think you know about God is merciful and kind and loving, and what you see in these passages. And, and what I think that does is it makes us say, I'm actually reading other parts of my Bible and seeing who God is there, and my Bible feels in tension with my Bible. Sometimes people will frame this as, well, all of us modern people know 
that you shouldn't go in and slaughter groups of people. You know, like we condemn that. We, we look at these things in history. We look at these things around the world and we say that shouldn't happen. The question is, where did we all learn that from? It turns out the place we learned it from was not some philosophy that someone came up with. It was the fact that for centuries, people have been reading the Bible and seeing a gracious and merciful God all over the Bible, including in the Old Testament, and saying, this is a God who is not just uh, indiscriminately throwing away human life, and neither should we. We should treat people as if they were made in the image of God. So when we look at this and it troubles us, it's because some part of the Bible has actually gotten into us and we're feeling things that we ought to feel about human beings. So in some ways, I say it's a good thing to wrestle with this, and it should make us peel away the layers and say, what, what's really going on here? Because maybe it's not the atrocity that, that I think it is. So that, that, that'd be the place that I'd start. Yeah, and again, I think it goes back to the Bible interpreting, helping, helping us interpret the Bible. Um, if we read a passage out of context from the rest of the Bible, we're going to get a very narrow view of who God is and um, what his character is like. But if we have that bigger scope of understanding of God's characters from, from the beginning of Bible all the way through, through to the end, we just have a, a more robust picture. I mean, you think of uh, just a, a, a parent. You think of like your earthly father, right? That we can all tell stories of how our dad was nice and gracious and funny and loving. And then we can all tell stories about how he disciplined us and he grounded us, you know what I mean? And, and he, he, he was mean in, in some cases to try to teach us to be better or to do better. Um, and he did all that out of love, you know? And so, uh, Again, it's it's having that fuller picture, that understanding of who God is that helps us to uh, not get so not get so freaked out by passages like this, I guess you could say. That's a really good point to allow the entirety of the Bible to inform and form how we think about God and how we relate to God. So even when you're reading in the Gospels and you see the same Jesus that says, let the children come to me, is the same Jesus that says, you're hypocrites and broods of vipers and yeah. whitewashed tombs. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I think of, in, in the category of like anger, so we all know that human anger is often almost always not good. Right? The Bible even tells us human anger does not produce the righteousness of God. So the things of God are not accomplished by human anger because there is something twisted about human anger. But we see many times in the Bible that God is angry, and God's anger is not the same thing as human anger. In the same way, when you look at God taking vengeance, the way God takes vengeance is not the same way as a human twisted vengeance. And in fact... We are told in a few places in the Bible uh, very clearly. So in Deuteronomy chapter 32, uh, God says, vengeance is mine. And then in Romans chapter 12, it says, repay no one evil for evil, have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Um, if, it, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And so God has very very clearly instructed us that judgment will happen. Evil is judged. Vengeance happens, but it's not our place. It's God's place because we would do it in a very, very twisted way, right? Because all of our sinful nature is wrapped up in how we feel and how we think and how we act. And so we're coached 
to love and to as much as within our power to live at peace with all people and leave the leave the ultimate judgment, leave the vengeance stuff to God because he's the one that does it perfectly. Yeah, and 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 there's something actually um worth praising about the fact that God judges. So you read in the Psalms, there are times when it actually says like we're we're worshiping God because he judges the earth. And and we th- think of that and we say, oh, I don't even want a judging God at all. And and the truth is, if there is a world that's been ruined by evil, including like human activity, you know what I mean? It's not just like, oh, there's sick- sickness and suffering, but like what humans do to other humans, it needs to be put to an end. And if, and, and you, you, everybody knows this, when you watch a movie and the bad guy gets what's coming to them at the end, you cheer, right? And that's because in our hearts, we know someone's got to put things right in the end. And so I, I think this is probably one of those instances where God kind of, Almost fast forwards, you know, the thing that's going to happen at the very end when Jesus judges everything perfectly, uh, it's kind of a fast forward here where God says, in this moment, there needs to be some judgment here and now for what the Midianites were doing to his people. So I think, I think that, that, that mitigates some of the edge of, is this just God commanding genocide? Um, I, the, the paragraph that troubles me in this one is the one where it says, but kill the boys and keep the virgins. It's that that sounds so much like just brutal conquest. What do what do you guys do with that? Well, I think historically, right? Like if we think back again, if we're if we're not just letting our our feelings and our emotions take over, and we we kind of put some brain power to that. If you have a have a bunch of boys that grow up to eventually become men, there's the potential of an uprising there. Uh, so that's one of, I think, the answers there. Yeah, it's the, the Inigo Montoya principle. You know, one day he's going to grow up and say, you killed my father, prepare to die. You know, that, and that's, that's, that's a problem, right? <laughs> yeah. And then we were talking a little bit, too, before this about just back then with women, if, if all of their family or everything that they have is destroyed, then they have nothing and they're left and destitute. And then what happens to them afterwards? So if anything, that's a, an act of grace upon uh, like from God to say, yeah, you can take these women, you know, in. Um, yeah. The, the alternative isn't good. They're, right. they're just left on their own. Yeah. yeah. But I do, I do think that the interesting part about that too, is if they are pagan women, there is also this, um, this possibility of like, could those pagan women one day potentially lead God's people astray by maybe trying to entice their their husbands one day to worship false gods? You just you just yeah. never know. So there's there's some yeah interesting things there. It is, it is interesting that Moses does say the the ones who you know had slept with men like that that the the ones that had been participants in the seducing in Numbers twenty five like those are the ones that that are killed, but the ones who didn't. So like. There is a little bit of like, well, we're obviously not going to welcome in those who are going to tempt and, and mislead, mm-hmm. but yeah, there's there's some messiness to this. Yep. So here's a behind the scenes look for all of you listening on how this podcast happens. We we report record these podcasts late in the afternoon, uh, normally on Wednesdays, and Nikki and Clayton and I are working, doing our jobs, different parts of the building. And then we converge on this room. We have not had these conversations prior to recording these podcasts. And and I want to point that out because you can do this. 
one one of the reason one of the reasons we do this podcast is to demonstrate to you for you that to get together with other believers to to engage in something like a bible savvy reading plan um, where you're all reading the same thing throughout the week and then you get together for at our church community group or if you go to another church your small group or whatever you call them um, and you pick one of the topics one of the one of the week one of the readings that week and you just start having a conversation using the comma method. And we have study Bibles on the table, and so you can kind of see the study notes there. Um, I've got my computer open, and so I do have a few, you know, different different study Bibles on my screen with different study notes. And so you're reading that as you're having the conversation, and you're throwing into the conversation, and you're asking questions. This is something that normal people can do. This is not... (laughs) This is not. This is me, the guy that has for forty-seven years been telling people he's been piddling in his backyard. <laughs> That's not normal. Okay, so this is not. This is not just like something that the Bible experts got in a room and did a podcast. This is us as normal people who are following Jesus that enjoy reading the Bible and having conversation, just having a conversation. So, I uh, just want to say that out loud because there, there genuinely is not. Uh, like hours and hours of prep going into what we're doing on this podcast. You could do this with your friends at a coffee shop, and that's why we're doing this podcast. So once again, we use the Bible Savvy reading plan. You can find all things Bible Savvy at biblesavvy.com, the reading plan, all of the various, there's context information there, all kinds of stuff at biblesavvy.com. Commercial over meditation. We're talking about the vengeance of the Lord. So I want to go to that Romans text again that I read earlier, where it says, do not repay evil for evil. As much as it, as much as it is within your power, live at peace with all people. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Meditation, 45 seconds, prayerful thinking about that. So we are now at the A in the comma method, which is application. It's the so what question. How do I how do I work this into my everyday life? So who has an application for this conversation? Hmm. I I trying to to settle on one. I, I got a couple in my mind. I think um I think one is to um ruthlessly uh resist the things that mis- uh, will, uh, you know, lead me astray. You know what I mean? That, this, that, that's really what this is about, is the, the enemy putting in the path of God's people things that would tempt and things that would, would ultimately destroy their relationship with God and, and, and their life. And so to say, that is not a small matter. That is not a, that is not a little thing. Um, and to, to be ruthless in saying, I'm not going to let those things creep into my life, I think is there. And, and I think the, the other part about that the other application is also to be 
so grateful to God for his mercy. Because when it comes down to it, like we're, we're the Midianites, you know what I mean? Like in this story, we, we want to think of ourselves as, you know, the, the good guys who, who didn't, who, you know, weren't getting judged. But the reality is like, you know, for my sin, I ought to be the one who, like, I deserve the judgment that I'm not getting right now. And, uh, and you know, Israel, like, they, they participated too, you know, and so the, I'm looking at everybody in this story is a mess, and the fact that anybody is spared is, is a great mercy. So uh, I guess the application is recognizing the threat of temptation and sin in life and ruthlessly fighting against that, and then on the other hand, being just so grateful for, for being spared when I ought to be on the other end of this war. Yeah, so my application came out of my my message. It was just that God keeps his promises to protect his people and to fight for them. And so I think for me, this passage is teaching me that like God keeps his promises to protect his people and to fight for them, even if his people are the ones taking the front lines to fight for themselves. So what what I mean by this is like a lot of times we ask for deliverance from something um, in our lives. And we ask for it, and, and there are times where God can just miraculously remove whatever the issue is from us and provide help and deliverance instantly. But often, we also have to fight for that. You know, like, we, we have to do our part. We have to go through this process of trusting in Him in the midst of the battle to bring the help and bring the deliverance that we need. And it, it makes me think of the passage in First Corinthians uh, uh, ten thirteen, where where he says, you know, no, no temptation has overtaken you beyond what is common to mankind. God is faithful; He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out for you to stand, uh, stand and endure it. And it makes me think that we we really have to want it, you know, like we have to trust in God to help us work through it and get get there uh, when it comes up to to sin, anything that we're dealing with in our lives, um, sometimes we got to take the front lines and we got to trust in God to help us get, get control of it. Yeah, that's good. God, God will, God will win the victory, but we have to cooperate. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's really good. So, uh, I'm, I'm in the, in the category of the, still the first two verses of this chapter, which is the Lord saying, I'm going to take vengeance. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So we have a job, and God has a job, and so my my, my application is uh, to do my job and let God do His job, right? So my job is to not repay evil for evil. My job is, uh, as best I can, as much as is within my power, to live at peace with other people, to be a forgiving person. And often when people ask me, like, um, I've had my wife ask me uh, on a few occasions, like, how can you forgive so quickly? Like, with that, that thing was, like, really terrible. And my answer always is, it's not like I can forgive because everybody answers to God. Like I don't, I'm not going to carry the weight of being the God of the universe. And so, to be a to be a person who can forgive and to not repay evil for evil and to try to live at peace with people, I, I think the way that you can do that is to remember that there is a God and I'm not Him. And everybody answers to God, and so it just kind of takes the takes the weight off your shoulder. So. That is my long-winded, uh, God has a job and I have a job, and I'm going to try to do my job and not do God's job. And now this ends this podcast episode, so I'm going to return to my yard and piddle. 
Hmm. <laughs> well, there you have it, friends. Thanks for listening this week. Uh, join us again next Monday for a new episode. We'll be looking at another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Schedule. And in the meantime, if you are not following along with the reading plan, you can check out BibleSavvy.com to download it and start reading along. You can also subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. And if you're on Twitter, you can find us there as well to get additional Bible Savvy insight. Lastly, tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next week.